I, I've been I've been hearing a lot of, well, well, what are we gonna what are we gonna do for DevOps 2.0? And I'm like, dear God, don't call it DevOps 2.0. DevOps 2.0. My, my hope is that by saying it on here and the ridicule it will receive, it will never see the light of day. <laughs>
this is the way to move forward, essentially. And that they're think, being successful with it. Yeah. I think that's where things are really impressive. You know, how many times have we all heard, we can't do that, we're a big company, we have to do things the old way and the slow way, and we have to have process and all these. Well, no, you've got companies the size of GE Capital, you've got smaller companies like Alaska Airlines had a, had a keynote this morning as well. You know, all talking about how they're, they're using these tools, they're using these practices to, to really, you know, ship ideas and ship them quickly. So, so on that, like, kind of what I think every year is there's always, there's always like an example that I kind of like bring with me forward that when I go and talk to other friends in, in other companies and they're, you know, at various stages of like being able to move faster and have different scale, you know, amounts of velocity, adopting DevOps, but the ones that are still saying like, I can't do this because, or we have to protect the such and such. And I, it's, it's hard sometimes to like, because what I want to do is say like, come on, like Standard Bank talked last year and they're, they're like, I can't remember what they got their deployment down like from and to, but we're talking like days or weeks to like hours or minutes. Um, like Alaska Airlines, like, so places where like, either you will go out of business, um, you know, legally or just, you know, from losing credibility or like people could die. Right, like, right. I hadn't really thought to what extent GE is really responsible for keeping us all alive. <laughs> the airlines I can understand, but like, um, so kind of for the, the, the businesses that are in that mode of like, well, I can't because, or like, we have to protect the, the users of the data, like, um, so that means like you can't go fast and you don't want to actually like be able to, to know what's going on and have some, some actual compliance instead of the like theater of the auditors coming in every three years and that being the way you rationalize why you can't do anything. Like it, it, it just starts to like not ring increasingly, it just does not ring true to me anymore. And it's cause like there's companies you've heard of that are like doing this now. Right. Um, and yeah, you wouldn't have thought like these, these big companies could like start to move like this, but then you see like over the years, some of these companies when they're doing their updates, like they're, mo they're moving faster and like they're actually starting to accelerate and then you see the competitors in their space, either you start to fall behind or like they need to start moving too. But you've got companies like Disney, I think last year had said like, we've been at this for five years. So if you're yeah. a company that's competing with Disney and you're starting today, they have a five year start on you and they're already moving faster than they were two years ago. So. Can I add to that? Also, I know somebody that spoke this morning that I'm rather close to, works for a large corporation, and uh, for NCR, and he talked about how um, it's not just, you know, automating all the things. It's about the, pol the politics of it all, and it's about getting everybody on board, and he just happened to find somebody in the Atlanta, he's in Dallas, he found somebody in the Atlanta office, which that in and of itself is complicated, you know? Uh, so he found somebody to be on his team um, or to, to um, rally with him for all of this, uh, all of this crazy DevOps stuff. And um, um, so we gave a speech on how, or both of them did actually, just on not only the complications of scaling to something so large, but just the politics of it all. That is a major part of it that people are going to have to just suck it up and deal with, you know, because um, you have to deal with, like, <laughs> psychology and you have to deal with, you know, social issues and, and um, rankings and it's just complicated and people need to really um, get on board with uh, how to deal with that uh, logistically. So, anyway. I, I talked to uh, a customer today, I had a, a meeting with a customer and they were talking about challenges they have being very, very siloed still. But what was interesting is they said their implementation of Chef has inherently started to break down some silos for them because they're like, hey, all of us in this room together, we've never worked together before until we started doing Chef. And it's not anything magic about Chef, but they're seeing this example and they're like, okay, so this is doable. And I think that's one of the things that the more we hear stories of success, because I'm a believer that when you know something's possible, you're more likely to try it, right? And so a few years ago, if I was a large enterprise behind the firewall, they well, that's fine. You know, again, just even two years ago, I would go see customers and they'd say, okay, you're like the fifth person to come in today tell me I should be like Facebook or I should be like Netflix. You know, and we have, we still have the unicorns and horses conversation and 
if you go back to ArrestDevOps.com slash Levin, which was our Etsy episode, we said, you know, Etsy is not a unicorn, they're a sparkly horse, as John said. And it's true, we're all doing regular work, but when we know it's possible, and that was the, one of the things, I don't remember the, I don't know if Barry gave a metric around it, but how many large enterprises are using open source, and those of us that have been doing this for a long time, you know, I still think we live in a really weird new future of how things are happening. Was it 70% of the Fortune 500 are using Chef in a meaningful way? If two years ago, when John Cowie and I met each other in a bar at ChefCon, even at that time, we'd be like, would you really leave the ball? We're like, no, that's cool, but just the amount of change that's happening because it's necessary. That's the thing. It's You have to adapt, like you know, you said, with Disney, Disney's got a five-year head start on you. That's scary. You know, yeah, you have to be, and, and uh, in the keynote around Alaska, they said that's sort of the thing. Alaska, you said, whether well, they're an 84-year-old, you know, multi-billion dollar startup, you know, compared to their competitors. They say, hey, our competitors, they throw money at problems. Like, we don't throw money at problems, so we have to do it in a smarter way and they're being scrappy and driving that innovation. Yeah. I think Alaska was a, it's a super interesting case study because the airline industry is one of those kind of, it's not something you particularly associate innovation with always. Like everyone, as we all probably know, everyone generally has this perception that travel just sucks. You know, you have customs lines, you have baggage reclaim, you have check-in delays, all this stuff. And it's cool to see a company taking because I mean, it's easy to it's easy to you know call companies disruptive in the startup space where the kind of as Fletcher was saying, the costs of being wrong are relatively slight. Yeah. When you're dealing with airlines, when you're having hundreds of people's lives in your hand, and you can cause nationwide delays if you get things wrong, it's really cool to see companies working in that space start to take this disruptive approach and be like, well, we're not going to accept this typical way of everybody thinking travel sucks. That's just not good enough. We're not going to stand for that. And it's cool to see them bringing practices from this industry into into that industry, and you know, delivering more rapidly and delivering these amazing new iterations. Like Alaska did uh, when the keynote video is up, I recommend everyone watches it. Alaska did a demo about how they're doing e-ink baggage tags, so you can check in on your on your mobile app, and the, the baggage tag on your suitcase updates magically. Like that's freaking amazing, and it's it's really exciting. It's exciting times. Yeah. Trevor. I was going to say, so this, uh, to what you were saying, Matt, about um, kind of having that use case now, or people have done this before, I just was in Singapore um, since last Saturday at a PowerShell meetup, and I did a chef training, um, and it was, it, was a, it was an event that was overbooked. There was 20 people wound up showing up of the, of the 50 who had overbooked from the, uh, but what was really interesting is the type of people who were there. There were, there were database administrators, there were people from banks, people from like machine automation industry. All of them here, like with the kind of the same story of, you know, we're hearing about these other companies going faster and moving faster and using these tools. And, you know, yeah, we want to learn this. That was kind of, a, okay, so the people that you were training were probably, um, already uh, versed in technology and everything. But one of the cool things that I've been doing is that I want to show, because I'm new to technology entirely, three months in, I'm a baby. But I want to show people that Chef and, well, what I've been focus focusing on specifically is Inspect. But like, it's so, like, uh, I don't want to say easy, but to a lot of to people that are more versed in technology, it's easy. It is accessible. It's so right. accessible to everyone. I mean, I really like. I'm three months in, and I'm like teaching people how to use Inspect. You know, like it's it's. Um, there's there should be no fear. I want to take the fear out of out of you know in in quotes non technical types doing things that because really the more people that can be involved in it, the better, right? I mean, yeah. So anyway. And that's a, a pretty ringing endorsement of what we're trying to do with Inspect with Chef, which is to say, and I always like going back, and I love reading, Annie, reading your posts, and I, I <laughs> tend to learn stuff from them too, because I'm like, I don't pay as much attention to how to do stuff as I should. I'm a chief hand wave engineer anyway. But uh, one of the principles and ideas behind Chef Compliance and, and, and Inspect and all this was to say, okay, we want to communicate with code, and some of the challenges were saying, okay, you want to have your 
you know, compliance folks, your your audit folks, and all this. Instead of you know being the way they communicate with you, be a bunch of Excel sheets and PDFs and whatever, they're going to give you compliance inspect code. And I've had some, you know, as I've talked to customers and prospects and people, they're like, well, are you sure they want to do that? And that's code and that's hard. And I've always sort of naturally felt like it doesn't seem that inaccessible. And I really like, and I like your point of saying it's accessible. It's not easy, you know, so let's not diminish that. I mean, we, we're all hard workers and we should pat ourselves on the back and, you know, and everything. But it's accessible. But it's been... And, it's hard for me as someone who I'm like, well, I've, I've written spec tests before and I think this way, so it seems super accessible, but if it's new to me, I don't know that. And that's one of the things I really love about watching your journey. I'm like, this is true. It's accessible from someone who's coming to this and understands the ideas and says, I want to do this. And I haven't written, written a spec test before. I haven't written Ruby code before, but I can do this. It's a ringing endorsement of that it's not just for your developers or your infra coders in your organization to leverage these, this, this tooling. Well, and even reme remediation through uh, Test Kitchen. We were we had a long conversation with Fletcher yesterday about <laughs> Test Kitchen. I was like, thank you, seriously, because his um, Test Kitchen uh, was another thing that uh, uh, lessened the barrier to entry into technology for me because you could see everything happening like, like that, you know, in a snap. And... Um, it was just so cool to, um, anyway, if you've, you know, y'all have all done test kitchen, you know, but um, yeah, I don't have to explain it to you like I explain it to my on my blog. On my blog. Um, but anyway, um, I think because of open source and because of the heart of this community, that stuff is becoming more accessible to non-technical types and... Um, and it's not dumbing it down. I don't think it's it's dumbing it down at all, which I know, that I think that a lot of people fear, you know? I think that it's just um, becoming more sophisticated, but in its, like, making it simple and sophisticated. I don't know. We're, we're mo it's moving the value proposition <laughs> to the content and the thing you're trying to do and not being tied into esoteric, arcane ways. And that, that's harder. You know, those of us who've been doing this a long time, some of us have felt protective in this and validation by I know this stuff and I'm the only one in the organization that's super smart at this and sometimes people look at that as job security or they'll, or even just for validation as a person right to say like hey this is how I feel really good because I know this thing that nobody else does and the reality is the world's moving right you know what I mean like the shifts are happening and we want to go with it and the thing is it actually just lets you do way more interesting things and that's, you know, again, you let the robots do the boring stuff. And now I can, you you know, I've, I've talked before when I, you know, uh, I'm pretty sure life, you said this on episode one. Probably. <laughs> uh, when people say, well, if I automate all this stuff, what am I going to do? And I'm like, well, you're going to do the things that use your big brain to do that aren't just typing commands over and over again. You're, you're, you're going to actually think and provide extra value. Um, I'm, I'm interested to, to think about, so, Annie, this is your first technical conference. I want to talk about the conference a little bit. Uh, and then I want to talk a lot, or at least a little, or somewhat, I want to talk about Chef Automate and, and some of the new uh, product offerings we have. But let's talk about the conference. So, Annie, this is your first Chef Conf. It's your first technical conference. We're here at day one. I know you are here yesterday for the workshops. Our, uh, did you do a workshop or did you do the community summit yesterday? Community summit, yeah. Okay. So, have you done a community summit? No, never. No. <laughs> so, first of all, what did you think of the community summit? What was that experience like for you? It was really cool. I mean, it's just, it's like a hallway track times five, you know? Like, it's just really cool because you get so many different uh, viewpoints, and it's very valuable, I think. I loved it. Um, I An interesting point uh, that I noticed, I had brought up uh, a topic of security compliance, and I wanted to talk about Inspect because that's my thing, you know? And so... Um, like, nobody was interested in it. Nobody. I, I mean, eight people. I think there were eight dots on the card. Yeah. <laughs> and so, which is fine. It's fine. But it was it was striking to me that not many people were thinking about it. Or it wasn't on their radar. Or it wasn't important or whatever. Um, I wasn't offended or anything. It was just, it was, it was um, information. And so, um, anyway, but then to hear Barry this morning talking about how... Yeah, like he has seen in companies that um, this is the thing that they need. They want compliance, you know, and they that is the bottleneck, you know, that is serious. 
And so um, it was really encouraging to know that I'm on the right track. That like it, like oh yeah, that is um, something that is it's coming. Like the need for more uh, more security uh, groups to be on board with DevOps and for it to be DevOpsSec or DevSecOps or whatever they're calling it nowadays, um, you know, to uh, to really get on board. And so that was encouraging to me to know that from up top, it's more on the radar. Even if it's not, you know, at the attendee level on the radar, at least uh, I know that it's coming up the pipeline. So that's really encouraging. So. Maybe a lot of the people who were interested in Shelf Compliance and Inspect were at the workshop. That was why. Oh, yeah, maybe. Maybe. Maybe, maybe that. But well, What I will say to that, though, is um, like I was also able to go to the very first Opscode Summit, and I remember conversations in there. I was like new, and I, I paid my own way Except the ticket was free because I got this email from Jesse Robbins that said, you contributed to Chef. Would you like a free ticket to our summit? And that was like a, what the heck? That was my first open space. But um, I remember conversations there. I came and like, this is infrastructure as code. So like, that means that we can probably test this and do all these things. And I remember the conversations there were like, it was mixed of like, yeah, that'd be nice. Or like, I think it's too hard. So I would say, Maybe not this year, but like wait a year or two, and it could literally be all the rage like at that point. And like you just give it time, the community—it's like an active—it's an active conversation, right? And I think a big deal is uh, what I was talking about, like Michael's talk that I was telling you about about with NCR. It's a lot of the social aspect of it. That's what drew me into um, this whole thing is that. Um, they were having an issue with security, um, getting development on board with security, security on board, board with development. And um, it was the social aspect that drew me into the whole thing. And I think that um, that issue is so interesting. So Fletcher, having been to all of the chef cons, um, what have you seen as kind of the evolution of the event? Besides the example you gave, which said, hey, so back in the day, testing seemed like a, well, that might be cool, I guess. And then Fletcher's like, challenge accepted. <laughs> I didn't know any better, right? Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like uh, when you and I first met two years ago and I said, when are we going to have test kitchen for Windows? You're like, uh, Seems I haven't used hard, Windows in like for forever, but okay. And then, you're, then we had Community Summit six months later and 45 people came to an open space and Fletcher sits there and goes, I guess this is the thing we should do something about it. And then six months later, six it's shipped. Chef so, you know, again, things change yeah, quickly. But what's, what have you seen as kind of the evolution of the event as an attendee and a yeah. participant? So, yeah, the, I can remember the first one pretty vividly because I'd never been to anything like that. And going in sort of the main stage room the first time, there's, there's a, there is a DNA to ChefConf that hasn't changed that core of like, it's professionally done, it feels good, there's actually lights there, um, there's like talks you wanna see, so like, there, there's like the constant there. Um, but I do remember the difference between, the, the first conference there was an element of like, um, almost like, I think these are good ideas, do you think these are good ideas? Or, or like, these are the things that we're doing, but the subtext might have been is like, this is kind of what we're thinking of doing. But like, yeah. we might not be at the stage where like, I don't know if we can share that we, we're figuring this out right now, but by year two and three, it, some of the same companies were now sharing the lessons learned in the last year, so like, now they're actually doing it. And kind of going from the like, yeah, like automating infrastructure to like being able to do like testing of infrastructure, and then to be able to do like this continuous delivery, like, and then literally this year, the theme is like from somebody's brain to actually making it happen. Like, that's gone a long way from like, automating infrastructure like um, so it's, it's been this like nice you know it's like we're like almost there now yeah. <laughs> it's like it's going from the brain to production like that's getting pretty high up there which means like the, what you're starting to think about is more like what are we doing as a business and yeah. like what are we what are we doing yeah strategically which um, you know for a bunch of like infrastructure nerds like <laughs> that isn't that kind of a weird thing to be talking about is like what the business actually yeah. like means so maybe that's because we have like our CEOs coming to these things now too, which maybe maybe happened then, but like increasingly you see that like the whole organization top to yeah. bottom are attendees now. So you can't just count on like um, infrastructure engineers or SREs or developers. Um, you almost need when you when you talk to a stranger for the first time, it's kind of like tell me your story because I bet your background is nothing like mine. 
but we have some like common, there's something common. <laughs> I've been, one of the things that I thought was pretty interesting was at the registration booth, they've got like this word cloud of companies based on attendees and as someone who's customer facing, I was very excited to see some of my customers having like really big words. And I remember looking at my first game in yesterday, I was like, I didn't realize that customer I said, clearly there's lots of them here. I thought like one person was coming, but their letters are this tall. So, and I do feel like it'd be funny to be able to like, if you could like somehow Snapchat that picture back to ChefCon, the first one, your mind would probably be like, really? Wow, these, not yeah. only are these people coming to ChefCon, they're the majority of the people coming to ChefCon through some of these organizations. So for me, it was the year that um, uh, Facebook talked and and Disney talked. Yeah. And that's when, yeah, I kind of lost my mind a little bit. <laughs> like for multiple levels, like like we're, we're really like operating on a, on a big stage just yeah. as a community. And like these are epically big companies that like my parents might not always know what I do, but they will know <laughs> those companies. <laughs> And at least for me on a personal level, to then know that like some of the stuff that I've like tinkered and played with and contributed is has like worming its way into these organizations. That's like, you know, we all like you all have like the power to actually make a big difference, right? Absolutely. Like, like sharing your ideas and collaborating, like it's actually pretty possible, which is crazy. It was. I mean, for, even for me, like last year was my first ChefCon. I've been really using Chef for like a month at that point. Like shortly after that chef comp, I, I, I was in London and I had a drink with John Cowie and uh, John said to me, you know, I was like, John, I'm freaking out. Like, I feel like I don't know anything. And I feel like, I feel like I don't like, I'm lying to these people that I like, I'm leading these chef engagements and I don't know what I'm doing. And John's like, slow down. <laughs> You're an expert because you can find the answers. And now, this year at Chef Comp, I'm seeing some of the clients that I've worked with over the past year presenting. And like hearing like the little inklings of the things that we talked about when we were together, and it's just like totally mind-blowing. I think another thing for me that's been really cool is like if you, if you go back to the sort of original Chef Comp's when the companies talking were companies that have historically always done a lot of open source, like early DevOps adopters, that kind of thing. And the kind of, the way the Chef community evolved from, from its origins was very much around open source community contributions and so on and so on. And I think one thing that's been extremely interesting to see is that, I mean, let's face fact, Chef's a for-profit company and the future of the company is in getting traction with enterprises. But I think the thing that's been really interesting is that even though we've been getting these, the biggest, some of the biggest companies in the world getting involved in this, in this sphere, the kind of core of open source and community has never been lost. Like you have huge companies like Facebook investing, you know, huge amounts of money in, in investing in, in the Chef open source community and companies like Target con contributing cookbooks and so on. Like one thing I think has been extremely interesting is how the values the company was, the, the com company and the community were built on around community and not being prescriptive and helping people solve their own problems. How that's managed to stay there amongst the push into big business because. But like big businesses are used to operating in a different way. They, open source can be a six-month approval process. They may not even have a process for doing that. But we're still managing to get to this place where, like, so for those who aren't familiar, the Chef open source project is steered by a governing board. And the majority of members of that governing board aren't Chef employees. And, and, and the lieutenants who are in charge of the different components of the Chef project, the majority of them aren't Chef employees. Like, the community is just as much a part of building Chef as, as Chef Incorporated are. And it's, it's phenomenal to see that, that that has sustained as the scale of the company and the conference and the community has pushed into spaces where those kind of things aren't always commonly done. I want to talk a little bit too, so I was sitting next to Trevor during the, the keynote, so I was getting like a first person reaction to Trevor's reaction to Automate and, and some of the stuff. So. Um, and maybe this is a little unfair to Andy because you, or this is new and you don't have like all these things that drove you crazy that maybe, you know, I guess I'm stacking well, the deck to say that like every, it made you happy. But I, I'd like to, to get some reactions to Chef Automate. And again, it might be a little unfair for Fletcher I because well, we you know what? Little, but I, I, I was, was in I another really project for six months. Yeah. So like, I was, I was sufficiently blown away myself. That's all I really need to say is like, I am very happy. I know that I'm new, but I thought, because I've been working with Inspect and Compliance, I thought, oh, they just made everything like compliance. Like, that's kind of cool, right? Like, I don't know, it was easy, simple. 
it, it was it was super interesting for me because uh, I, I don't know if anyone remembers a couple of UI revisions ago when, when the Chef Web UI was it was essentially like a token for people who didn't like running CLI commands, but it was yeah. built by and for people who work on the terminal. And so I'll, I won't say who said it, but someone turned to me today during the announcement and was like, thank God Chef has a CNUI at last. <laughs> like it's kind of pushing it to that stage where it's not only being used by, you know, hardcore terminal hackers and so on and so on. And, you know, in this age of monitor everything and metrics and visibility and compliance, it's great to have this this kind of holistic view across your infrastructure of, no, I mean, we've had the ability to tell, you know, how many nodes are converging successfully or not over, you know, for a while. But now we're incorporating how many changes have been deployed and how's, how's your compliance area looking like. It's kind of this picture of the kind of totality of your infrastructure to give you this sort of, I hesitate to use the phrase a single pane of glass because it's a bit overloaded and it's not always the best thing. But it, it's, it's a fairly tightly scoped pane of glass that gives you really valuable insight into how, how your automation is performing so you don't need to sit there trying to build things to tell you how your automation is performing. It's giving context, right? Yeah. And one of the things when thinking again, having gone seen iterations of Web UI and then managed, and I remember when if you had a higher resolution than 1024, there were scroll bars and all this stuff, but I like the decisions are, okay, what belongs in the UI, right? It's not like, okay, there's things that, and I've always in the past sort of said, like, I think Chef Manage is a read-only thing, right? And it's great for that because, yeah, knife commands don't help me look at stuff. It gives me data, but I have to do a thing, and now I'm bringing it into something else. But I think some really good decisions were made around what belongs in the UI. It's not just take yeah. all the things I normally do and now give me buttons. It's like, because UIs are really good for visualization. And so it seems very focused on the things that lend themselves really well to that. Yeah. I mean, for, for me, the whole, the whole kind of re-envisioning of the, the way things are structured, um, I, I, I've been hearing as much as I, I don't want to, uh, as much as I don't want to say what I've been hearing, I, I've, been, I've been hearing a lot of, well, well what, are we gonna, what are we gonna do for DevOps 2.0? And I'm like, dear God, don't call it DevOps 2.0. Did you 2.0. say DevOps 2.0? I told you I didn't want to say it. I told you I didn't want to this say it. This is a new thing for the people at Etsy to laugh about. I already know they laugh when people say DevOps. So take that back. So, that's so my, my, my first contribution to you guys. My, my hope is that by saying it on here and the ridicule it will receive, it will never see the light of day. Yeah. But what I did was I, I called the person who said this to me right after this keynote, and I said, okay, this is the thing we've been trying to figure out what that meant. And it has a better name, and it's things we're already working with. Mm -hmm. So stop saying DevOps 2.0. <laughs> I think one of the, like, in, in all seriousness, although we, it's, it's easy to kind of poke fun at, like, serverless, two, serverless and DevOps 2.0 and all this kind of stuff, I think it's, I think partly it's that as, as the kind of practices that have come out of, of this and other communities that we, that we badge DevOps and so on have come out there, like, as those, as those, kind of ideas and concepts become more commonplace, people kind of start extending them. So serverless being like sort of, you know, first people are moving to the cloud and now you're moving to other people's services hosted in the cloud. And it's kind of getting away from this idea of all of your infrastructure lives in your data center and belongs to you. And I think a lot of it is people, people need to put a catchy name on something, but a lot of this stuff is just, it's the logical evolution of the stuff people have been doing moving into wider areas that have different requirements that the original practitioners didn't think of and it's kind of been moving and gaining traction and we just happen to like sticking names on it that look good in headlines. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, so like, sorry, I'm waxing a little nostalgic today because Matt brought up some history before we came on today. Um, but that was, I think that was the, one of the first things I said on the show was, you know, Matt had introduced me to like this, this word, DevOps, and I was like, oh, this... This sounds like all the things I've been learning how to do anyway, just with a word on it. <laughs> it gives us a linguistic shortcut yeah. for communication, which is the point of jargon, right? And, and it I doesn't think, always work, but it does sometimes. Well, that's, that's the trick of it, right? Like it, and when it doesn't work is when, it's, you know, when what it means to you is different than me. Then it's not accomplished its point, because now we're going to fight about what it means for two weeks. Mm -hmm. um, 
and I, I think the thing that I really like, one of the things I really like with Automate, and it speaks back to what John talked about, about the core of open source being so important to Chef and Barry reiterating that today in the keynote, is if you look at what Automate is, it, the pillars it's built on are three powerful open source products or, mm -hmm. or projects. They're projects. Sorry, yeah. I, I, no, no, they're, they're products. Product. They're well-defined. Yeah. They're, you know, you can make solutions with them. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm speaking as somebody who is working on Habitat. So, oh, okay, yeah. Um, so I, I said it, we launched a product that's an open source project. Uh, it just happens to be open source, but yeah. And for those of you who are listening and didn't catch, so those three products are Chef, which we know and love and have known and loved for years and years. And Habitat, which is new for us to know and love, and maybe Fletcher will tell us a little bit about that. We're going to talk more about that uh, in some future episodes. And then Inspec, which, Andy, so actually I just realized this, like, wow. I am so We're proud of myself We're for what I did. You here. are the three pillars of Automate. Everybody, <laughs> Chef Automate. You know? Now, <laughs> that's what we did. Okay. I'm going to pretend that that's what I meant when I said there's another way they're all connected <laughs> at the beginning of the show. So... Fletcher, do you want to tell us just a little bit about, so you've been working on Habitat for quite some time, and um, and and I, I, I'd like to hear you not explain, don't give us a pitch, but kind of talk about why you think it's rad, and I know from talking to you while you're working on it, you're super excited, like what what made you get jazzed about Habitat? Yeah, so, and I think it, it hasn't changed too much, but it's becoming a little bit easier to articulate why, at least for me. So, what I really want in whatever I'm doing is to be able to like, you know, write and deploy and operate like really well-behaved services so that like I can actually do something useful. And if I was in an organization or you see like a, a startup and they have like infinite time and like money and they like build their own databases and, and stuff, like everybody would read the like release it book and they would build all their software and it would look like Netflix components and you know, all these Services they would like, they would have health checks, and they'd have, you know, they would like stream metrics out of them, and they could like self-cluster and stuff. But the problem is, there is no business on the planet except for maybe yeah, like one or two, um, that have that. And and worse, some of like the most important software and services are ones that are, you know, very resistant to be able to be changed or to be moved or, you know, like your. Your, your mainframe is like not likely to go away, but it is the thing that's running your business. So whether you want to call it legacy or like it's real world software and it's, it's hard. Like if you had the ability for those things to just behave as though they were the, like that Netflix style services, um, more across the board, if they all had those like superpowers of being well behaved, then like how could you compose systems and, and architectures and, and run your business? So for me, Habitat is is kind of that, the way to get well-behaved services that look very similar, that have, yeah, the same behavior and this common interface and ability to then start to compose your, like, solution on top of it. Um, now, the means by which it does that is when you kind of start to get into the particulars. And, like, that's where I think right now when people are looking at, like, oh, what's this Habitat thing and what are the requisite parts? Um, and that's where the confusion sort of starts. Um, because people are like, oh, it's a packaging thing, or is it like the service thing, or is it a service discovery? Is it something that's like meant for containers? Like for me, it's so that like every service that I run, even the like Postgres that I don't write, they all can behave the same way, and that just gives me like such power. And like how I did it is like I, I will I will move Earth if I could get that. And like yeah. so we did a little bit of that. <laughs> But yeah, to me, that, that's what Habitat is to me, and that's why like, I'm still excited to this day, that we seem to be able to do it. Like, the seed of the idea is, like, it has legs, and I, I can feel it in my gut, and I felt that way for a long time, and that doesn't often happen. So I'm gonna keep going, whether or not yeah. people think it's crazy. Yeah. Like, I could close up shop and just, like, happily play with, with Habitat, and, like, not make any money or do anything, and if nobody <laughs> used it, I'd be so happy. I think what's, what, what you're saying, and, I, and I've been seeing in reactions and stuff, and as I talk to people, is again, folks are trying to put it into a context of a thing that they already understand. So it's like, wait, so is this like Docker? Or is this like, you know, is this like, then it's like, yes and no, right? It's like, is it, is it trying to solve for some of the similar problems? Yes, but it's not just a different way of doing Docker or something like that, for example. Nor that, 
for and to think about to say something that like shop or puppet or modern configuration management is not just a different way of doing shell scripts. Mm -hmm. It's a different paradigm, but we but we want to put it into a thing that we understand. We look at people who are oftentimes when you're new to Chef, what do you do? You wrap all your shell scripts and execute right. blocks because yeah. that's where your frame is. So you're like, this is doing that. And it's like, wait, I have to take that step back and accept it for what it's accomplishing. So again, and if we that's what's helped me thinking about habitat is what is Chef about? Chef is about, don't worry about how the sausage gets made. What's the thing you care about? Mm -hmm. And I need to express, and the same thing is true in Inspire. Like, I need to be able to just say, what do I care about? And then, it's not magic, but if I, if I clearly enough articulate to this product what I want, mm -hmm. it will give me the thing that I want. And that's how I've started to understand with Habitat, which is, yes, I, it's not just this thing. I just take, here's my Git repo of my, you know, J2EE app kind of thing and habitat it up, right? <laughs> and it was, I, I was talking to somebody, they're like, oh, so you have to write, I'm like, yeah, you have to write some stuff because you have to know, you're the one who knows how your things work, but you're thinking about it in terms of what you know, just like Shop. And that's mm -hmm. what is, when that sort of happened to me with thinking about it, it's like, that's why I really like it because it's, it's got that same philosophy, that same spirit of focus on the things that are your domain knowledge and let these other things get abstracted away so you can focus on the stuff that's awesome to you, right? And that's consistent across those three pillar products, right? Is that, that's why I think it's interesting, like Habitat is a new thing for sure. Um, and Inspect is like relatively new, like when you know we launched it. But there's all this, there is a chefness like the company <laughs> Core DNA that is very much consistent, which is, I don't exactly know, like, you know, there's, there's some Adam Jacob in all of this, I guess, maybe. <laughs> I don't know what it is. But it still feels very consistent, even though these are three different things coming at, like, right angles when you, when you kind of look at it the first time. What, uh, I, I'd like to know, too, so, uh, so I, I didn't see a lot of talks. I saw the keynote and stuff, but what was maybe the most interesting thing that you learned or saw today? And it's okay, you don't have to say Michael's talk, Annie. We won't. Unless that's the answer, yeah. <laughs> Well, I did enjoy Michael's talk. Michael's my husband, y'all. Yeah. I didn't say that earlier, but he's my husband. Whatever. Um, <laughs> I really, en I really enjoyed also the the talk that Chris uh, Christoph Hartman gave on Inspec, and um, it was that was a standing room only. It was uh, uh, talk, packed. as I understand it. Yeah. We were sardines in there, and it was hot. Um, but it was um, really cool just to see that everybody was excited about learning it, and he um, he basically. Uh, just taught everybody how to use it, and he did a test. He tested something in compliance. He remediated it with a cookbook and everything in 20 minutes. And he was like, "Look, guys, I just did this in 20 minutes. What, why, why can't you do it too?" So <laughs> it was awesome. So I guess there were two moments for me, and and like tomorrow there'll probably be more. Um, so one was the the GE um, uh, presenter, and I don't even think it made it to the slide. But she had said that like GE powers like 40% of like the Earth's like power, uh, or generates like 40%, and that's like, yeah, that's that's just crazy that like companies like this and like like numbers like that are kind of flying around. That was one thing. That's a, so last year I think it was the John Deere tractors for me that was like, man, there's so much tech in those things. <laughs> and the other one was my coworker Jamie Windsor in his uh, Habitat talk. Um, once we once we launched Habitat, which was like only last month, we've still been like squirrel away and working on things and like in and out. Um, and he's been like really busy on this build service. So he had kind of like dropped a few details of like, you know, basically I think I figured out like this particular sharding thing and like I think we can do it automatically. So that was a moment that I was kind of like what? And then, so he saw me and he's like, oh yeah, Fletcher's like got his mouth open. <laughs> like, hey, by the way, Fletcher, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. We haven't talked about it yet. So like, um, my own team can like surprise and delight me too. So. I think my, uh, my favorite talk of the day was Tim Smith's talk on uh, basically writing composable cookbooks using custom resources and chef. Uh, the kind of background to that was he was talking about, he was using the Tomcat community cookbook as an example of how you start with a relatively clean, minimal cookbook, you release it to the community, and then you get pull requests to add Gentoo support, to add Systemd support, yeah. and you end up with this cookbook that has 
50 million different attributes managing it and it doesn't really do any of them well. And how you take that and you go back to actually kind of first principles and what are you actually trying to do here. And it, it was particularly refreshing because it, it, was, it was a very kind of, in addition to the kind of how the, how the new version was done, it was a very honest retrospective of basically like an employee of Chef standing up and saying, actually, we didn't do this bit that well, or this just super didn't work. Uh, and then, well, then they started looking at, well, actually, we need to get back to looking at what do we actually want this code to do? Like, let's actually design the code. We're not just going to open the terminal and start hacking. We're actually going to write down what do we want this to do. Let's mock up a recipe that does roughly what we want. And then let's encapsulate that in, instead of trying to make a recipe that just drops in and does everything for everyone, which historically has never been something Chef has been designed to do. I, I think of Chef as a toolbox that gives you the tools to solve your own problems. Some of the community cookbooks like this one were designed that you just drop it in, add a recipe, and then magically Tomcat comes out. Whereas the new, the new way of thinking was much more based around we're going to give people these composable resources that make it easy for them to solve their own problems rather than the community trying to anticipate them and make something that does everything. Well, so that, the, that was the, the reality is you don't need Tomcat installed. You need the John Cowie way that Tomcat should be right. installed. That's what you need, and you, right? You, you yeah. may have several Tomcat instances. Yeah. You may have particular JDK pinning requirements. Uh, you may, you know, the, the Tomcat server.xml file is colossal, and everyone has a different one, and you no can't, you can't make a one-size-fits-all solution for that. So to me, to me, that was. Uh, it was, it was particularly interesting from, from the point of view of just a new way of thinking about cookbook design, but it was really interesting as a kind of super honest and like introspective look at just something that, something that did a lot of stuff with the best of intentions and just didn't do it that well. So uh, I think for me, uh, the, the first one that was the, uh, the CTO psychologist keynote, um, <laughs> and I'm going to forget both of their names because I'm awful. Um, but it was basically, to me, it was because of their accents it was, and their sense of humor, it was DevOps Flight of the Concords. <laughs> um, but it totally, it, it, it actually helped me a lot with a lot of this, the, the problems I'm facing with uh, this. Uh, right now I'm leading a, a transformation project in Singapore, and, and I, I need to work with a lot of those problems that they were discussing, and it, it was really helpful to me. Uh, the other one I saw was... Um, the, the target talk about SharePoint and, and chefing SharePoint. Uh, and someone other than me was, has accomplished that. That was always one of the big trolls when I joined Chef is Evo Van Dorn kept saying, yes, when are you going to write that SharePoint cookbook, Matt? And since I use SharePoint, so I'm glad Target did it instead. Right, well, and here's the cool thing, too, is they're working on open sourcing it. Sweet. So, <laughs> no, nobody has to think about how to do that. <laughs> Thank you, Naomi. Yeah. <laughs> Naomi is a faithful listener of the podcast, so. Yes. So uh, we're going to be wrapping up, so I'd like just to take an opportunity if there's anything that you're especially looking forward to for, uh, for the rest of the couple days, because again, we're about halfway through, or something that you're looking forward to for the next ChefCon, where you're like, okay, well, maybe it's time for the telepathic interface, where I don't even <laughs> have to write code anymore. I just sit there and think about what I want, and it'll be what's tat, tataba? That's habitat backwards. So I'm looking at that. <laughs> so I'm, I'm looking forward to, there's, there's a lot of companies that have been speaking this year. So one, one I, I saw talk today was the National Football League, talking about how they've been taking not only a siloed approach, but completely siloed and separate infrastructures and taking, like, using these kind of principles and, and using Chef to break those down. So honestly, because my, my, my role at work is transitioning slightly more towards people management and away from the day-to-day -day tech stuff. So I, I'm finding myself a lot more interested in this kind of organizational transformation stuff, like how people are actually applying this in kind of real sort of real-world scenarios where that kind of stuff has never been done before. So I'm really looking forward to next year coming back and seeing the same people tell us again like how far down the road they've moved. So that, that's that's going to be super cool. And, and, and tomorrow, I'm, I'm always looking forward to Adam Jacobs' keynote. Yeah. He's <laughs> always a delight. Yeah, actually similar. Like I, I don't want to put more pressure on this guy than like, he probably oh, needs. there's but, Adam. <laughs> um, there's honestly most of the chef conferences. Adam will give a talk on the second day. It might be a little different, even the format tomorrow. I'm not sure. I hope not. Because, um, <laughs> yeah, for me, those are like kind of like, they're sort of like milestones or they're, they're like, they're turning points. 
for, for me and like my trajectory or like what I think and, and kind of what I want to do. Um, so I always look forward to the second day. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah uh, otherwise, for me, um, as far as I'm concerned, I've kept a, a big secret for like <laughs> the longest period of time maybe I've ever done in, in my career, <laughs> knowing that like the surprise will eventually happen. Um, so now I'm kind of just back to like, you know, uh, keeping it real and like making sure that like we haven't been in a bubble and we still are like trying to solve a real problem in, in Habitat. Um, and kind of just going back to talking with people to see like, you know, can you get your head around this? Does it seem like this would help? Um, and like, what if, what if we had this as like an extra, you know, tool in the solution? Like, um, are there problems now that either go away or can we like, you know, go around like stuff that like we've been charging down like how do we do orchestration like how do we do this properly like may maybe maybe we don't actually need to think as much about orchestration more about like the services and the promises that they have and the requirements that they need of other services so that they can all like work towards their goal and like you don't really get you don't really need that like directed nature so yeah, it's just like back to like conversations with people. And I don't have a talk this year, so that's the best like chef. <laughs> I think John said a similar time. thing. He's like, I get to just come and hang out this time. And yeah, it was the same. It's the it's the first chef conf I've been to where I haven't been speaking, yeah. and it's been it's been amazing to just kind of sit back and take it all in without having the pressure of, oh God, I'm on in an hour. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just soaking everything in, and I'm really learning a lot and enjoying everything. But I I am. You asked about next year. I'm excited about. Um, the direction that things are going with security. I'm just going to predict just a little bit that I think next year is going to be a lot more about security. I think that right now um, things are still siloed. The security is still a huge bottleneck that nobody wants to deal with. And I think that um, this next year, Chef is going to do a ton to um, deal with that. And um, uh, so I'm excited to hear about it. Just what happens yeah. next year? So, uh, so I think I'm going to predict. I think I'm going to predict that next year, uh, the only person on this podcast who hasn't presented at ChefConf will be presenting at ChefConf. What? Yeah. <laughs> if not, we will keep nudging you. Yeah. <laughs> I gave a talk about animated gifts last year, so you know, <laughs> the bar is high. Yeah. <laughs> so great! I'm really. Uh, I want to give awesome thanks to our guests, John Cowie, Fletcher Nickel, Annie Hedgepeth, for joining us and uh, our Good Morning America-style crew behind us here in this super cool fish tank in the middle of the Chef, Chef Conf uh, Expo floor. So, um, I, think, uh, I think we should say this all together. Oh, okay, so, well. Did, we did say the beginning and they say the end. Okay, do you know what the end is? Okay, just checking. <laughs> Does anybody understand what Trevor's talking about? So anyway, uh, remember, there's always DevOps in the banana stand. <laughs>